Hi guys and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. Thank you so much for all the likes and shares on all the social media forums and also on iTunes and Spotify. So please do continue to share them on your stories so, so many people can um, can listen to them. So thank you so much. The last few weeks have been awesome with the guests that we've had on so far. So at the time of recording, Jack Gad's episode went out uh, on um bodybuilding for skinny teens going into his story of being British national champion uh, we had Holly Davidge on as well we've had Brian Keane on we've had some amazing guests as well and also we've had a couple of solo episodes from myself so this week is with a, a guy I've been spotting for a little while on Instagram and has become highly recommended from other trainers that I work with um, and he is head coach with the fit clinic uh, online nutrition coaching company based in Dublin um, and that is Brian O'Hecknessa. So Brian graduated with the BSc in human nutrition from UCD. He's a PN level one and level two uh, graduate and then he's a head nutritionist body first. So Brian basically knows his stuff. His Instagram is so informative. He has, he, he likes all things nutrition, but he has also the most amazing dog in the world, so he's well worth the follow and hearing the stories uh, and seeing the stories about the dog. And I think that's the thing that keeps him sane, his feet on the ground with, the, with the, is his dog. So, Brian, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Hey, Shane, how's it going, man? Uh, no, it's great to be on. Um, glad you enjoyed the doggo content as well as everything else. I think everyone enjoys a good pet now and now and again. I think it kind of adds a more human side to people rather than just kind of putting loads of stuff about vegetables and loads of stuff about gluten and all that kind of stuff. So it adds a more human side to people's content, which is awesome. Yeah, I know. I know it's what I like to see from other people. So yeah, it makes sense that that's what other people are going to want to see from uh, my page. That's awesome. Probably getting a bit out of balance though with. Too much dog and not enough stuff. <laughs> what is the balance? Like, what's what's the fine ratio for you? Jeez, it uh, feels like the last couple of weeks. Anyway, it's like a hundred percent to none. But uh, no, no, it's uh, probably try go for like sixty forty. I think in favor of uh, valuable content to dog content. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be a nice enough split. And have you thought about doing nutrition for dogs on a separate page? Um, yeah, I mean, it's flickered into my mind, um, you know, I, I do like to give him a cod liver oil every day, he enjoys that, uh, he's got the hang of actually eating it now for the first, the first few he was chewing it, trying to chew it for like five, ten minutes before he could actually get it, but, you know, he's a pro now, but, uh, no, I'll stick to people for the moment, um, no, I mean, with dogs, you know, like, he's, he's on time-restricted feeding, you know, he has his two meals a day, they're at the exact same time properly portioned out like it's the one cup and uh that's it like so now dogs is too easy man uh i go with people makes things a bit more interesting makes but everyone's different that's the that, that's what keeps us on our toes i think um so brian tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of what made you kind of get into the whole nutrition space itself yeah so there's lots of uh, good narratives out there i think in the health and fitness sphere um i think mine's pretty straightforward i'm not gonna I'm not going to tell you I had any epiphanies hiking around Nepal and drinking goat butter tea or anything like that. Um, I'm not going to change my name to the, the Kevlar CEO anytime soon, uh, but I might trademark that after this. 
No, so it's what you mentioned there with uh, with Jack's podcast. You know, I was the, the skinny teen, and I was involved in sports. I was playing basketball, um, so I was very very skinny and wanted to you know bulk up a little bit, get a bit stronger, and you know joined the gym when I was sixteen. Uh, got very very as we all kind of do. Got very interested in how you know what what else you're doing like in terms of what you're eating and things uh will make a a massive massive difference in terms of your progress for say working out and training and things like that and, and putting on muscle mass and you know that's where the that's where the interest was sparked for sure and you know i just kind of got really into into going to the gym and training and things like that and uh by the time i came around for to do my leaving cert and do the cao and everything like that uh doing human nutrition there in ucd seemed like a good fit and then it's, you know, it was a good course, um, but it didn't, it left you with nothing really in terms of application to people. So, you know, I knew I wanted to, to work with people on, you know, go an inch wide and a mile deep with people, as opposed to say like a, a public health kind of a setting where you're going a mile wide, but only scratching the surface really. So, you know, I was looking for, for other things to do after that. Um, so I started working body first when I graduated and then I did the precision nutrition level one at the same time, um, uh, went through that and then, you know, finished that and was like, okay, well, do I want to start trying to coach people now or do I want to do a bit more, uh, further study? And, you know, it's, it's hard to know when you should take the leap, but I decided to do the PN level two and, uh, that was fantastic. That was a year long course and that's really, I'd say. But I credit that to a large part of how I've been shaped as a coach now. And then, yeah, then I started working with the, the Fit Clinic uh, about two years ago. Well, actually, exactly two years ago. It was my two-year anniversary was there like uh, a couple of days ago, I think. So, yeah, that's that's my, my story and how I've gotten to where I am now. Uh, so now it's just constantly trying to... Uh, be a better coach and be, get a bit less stupid every day less and, stupid uh, i love that term and is there any kind of resource that you kind of recommend to people or listen to on nutrition because there's so much out there i know particularly on instagram and i get i get a lot of questions on, on a daily basis from clients about something that they've read up on social media and do you have any particular source that you go to for your information yeah, I mean, like, there's going to be a difference between the sources I want to use and the sources of that course, like, yeah. I like personally. And actually, it can be quite difficult sometimes to recommend stuff for, um, that's just, you know, general good information. Like, obviously, obviously the Fit Clinic uh, is an excellent source. Um, but for other other professionals, uh, the Nutritional Advocate, seeing Alan Flanagan, uh, do you follow him? Yeah, yeah. He's excellent. Um, but I think a lot of what he talks about you know it's not you know his target audience is not people who have a, a very basic or no understanding of nutrition um like in terms of books there's anything kind of uh, lyle mcdonald has written and his website uh, i think are very good uh, renaissance periodization their ebooks very good there's dave one on uh, healthy eating which is uh, really good i think because it it kind of steps away from the whole body composition and performance thing and just actually looks at just eating for health. Um, so they're quite good. And like Eric Helms, his uh, nutrition uh, book and his uh, you know, strength guide, they're quite good. But, um, you know, it's hard to recommend books, though, a lot of the time. I know I've mentioned a few there, but 
you know, most mainstream kind of diet books that you might go pick up in a, in a bookshop, they're generally pretty biased and trying to sell sell you on one way or another. Um, so there's not actually much to go on there. And then it's kind of, you come back to using nutritional textbooks, which is then, you know, kind of too heavy going for a lot of people as well, um, depending on what, what stage you're at. Uh, the Angry Chef actually is a very good book. Um, or for anybody and it, it kind of cuts through a lot of the bullshit and it's really goes after it have you read it no i haven't read that book no that's a good i'm gonna definitely write that down because i'm looking for something to i kind of tend to go between kind of having one book on mindset one book on business and then i'm kind of looking for one book and kind of food and nutrition side of things and that's generally how i kind of break down the books and I try to read maybe 20 minutes half an hour every day like so it's kind of it's yeah. good to kind of keep that ticking along yeah, spot on. Yeah, now the Angry Chef is good. Um, it's kind of like uh, bad science uh, a little bit, just very much focused on uh, like food and nutrition and health, and just you know, it's 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 written with good humor as well, and just cuts through a lot of the bollocks out there. So yeah, they they be some good resources for people. And what about anyone on social media? Because I know there's a few people out there that I I follow, like Martin McDonald from Mac Nutrition um would be kind of ones that yeah. his evidence-based kind of side of things uh his approach would be quite beneficial and he also kind of puts into layman's terms um which it which is yeah. quite important because there's a lot of technical mumbo jumbo out there um and if people are kind of sometimes when you kind of go to a resource and like as you said some of the stuff can be quite technical and you actually come out a bit more confused so is there anyone out there on social media bar yourself that you would follow for the nutrition side of things? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, Martin's very really good. Uh, Lane Norton's quite good as well. Um, I know he has, he can have a bit of an abrasive personality, but uh, the content is quite good. Um, Rebecca, who you had on, uh, Teeth Triceps, you know, very her, her content is very, very good. Um, uh, Gary over at Triage, uh, Skinny Guys. Yeah, uh, very good. Really, really good content coming out of there. Um. Yeah, that's they're the they're the few off the top of my head. Anyway, um, like there's obviously a lot of very good people out there that are just not really using social media. Um, yeah, of course, yeah. As a means of, as a means of communicating with people. Um. But yeah, those are definitely some good ones. Uh, you know, myself and the Fit Clinic, obviously. Um. You know, we're trying to do as much, put out as much good, con- useful content uh, for people as we can. So. Yeah, there's definitely lots lots out there, um, but they, they'd be some of the ones that come to mind like straight away. And is there anyone that you kind of say, kind of, if you were to ref- to say to someone to stay away from? Because there's so much kind of, a lot of... Mer- some, there's going to be a lot more of them than, than there is yeah. to say, you know, you should follow these people. So um, it's like, you know, look looking critically at, at kind of their, their tone and what they're putting across. Like, are they... Do they see seem extreme at all? And if they do, or do they seem very much married to one sort of approach? Um, any sort of like kind of inklings of extremism or, or things like that, I would encourage people to be very wary of, um, because yeah, you know, you, you have a lot of people like you know heavily invested in like say ketogenic diets, and all you can do is you know ketogenic diets or carnivore diets, uh, you know, depend like even vegan pages sometimes depending on 
what they're saying about veganism like they're saying it's the, it's the healthiest thing in the world then you know i'd be conscious of that and anyone who talks in uh, absolutes so like it's this is the best you know without any sort of context or, or anything like that and then there's i'm a so that guy the, the medical medium he's popping yeah. up a lot like he was it's fucking celery juice like that's it's pretty obvious like i would hope for the most part that people don't need me to tell them that that's shy but you know, but look at the again, looking at the followings that these kind of people have. Um, yeah, I'd say like a balanced and non-extreme approach. If they're coming from that sort of a perspective, um, they they probably could be okay. And then anything to the contrary, I would be very cautious. And you know, if you if you have any sort of doubts about it, uh, ask someone you do trust, or even ask the person themselves. You know, where they're getting their they're kind of backing for what they're talking about. Um, if, if that's met with any sort of hostility or anything, you know, you probably, you know, that's that's kind of a red flag um, because you should be able to back up what you're saying and you shouldn't take personal offense if someone just wants to know how you're putting your information together, uh, which, you know, I think people easily muddle up, um, you know, oh, you're challenging me, you're, you're challenging my, uh, content, therefore, you're attacking me as a person, which is obviously bollocks, but it seems to happen. I mean, that's I think that's a good point. That if they, if you have any questions and they're kind of running away from the question at all, and they can't back it up, I think that's quite important. So that's I think that's a really really good point. Uh, I've I've been following you for a while on Instagram, and some of your videos are hilarious, particularly your stories. But you also have a lot of kind of good kind of points on your instagram regarding your kind of your nutritional advice and you kind of put it in a like nice subtle way like you're not trying to ram it down our throats or the the, the viewers throats and anything like that one of the biggest tips that i kind of looked at or well, that i took away from it was kind of starting the day with the water with uh, starting the starting the day with water with a pinch of salt can you kind of go into a little bit more detail on this as as to the benefits and how will it how will it actually impact on someone's day-to-day being yeah so like the, the main thing here is the, the water and then the salt is kind of secondary but it just it kind of astounds me to some extent how people can get up and go about their day and they might not you know drink anything for a good few hours when they're after dehydrating all night essentially they might not have drank anything for you know 8 10 12 hours and you know your body is is mostly water needs water to do everything um so you definitely want to get some fluids i know people have maybe tea or coffee and yeah that's fluids but it's not very much um compared to say like you know a big glass of water or pint of water or something like that and then where the salt comes in is um so you know you hear about how sodium increases water retention but if you look on the other side of that or reframe it it's uh sodium helps increase absorption of water um and it's you know if drinking tap water like if you're having mineral water that will have a certain amount of of minerals in it uh, like sodium so probably don't need to add salt to that but um it can be good just to help with the the hydration process first thing in the morning <clears throat> and you know i think salt gets a bit of a bad reputation anyway um which is kind of unwarranted like if you if you have high blood pressure and you have hypertension and you find it's it's salt sensitive then yes you want to moderate your your sodium intake but it's not a causal relationship like consuming a lot of consuming salt is not going to give you high blood pressure but if you are sensitive to it um, it can have an impact and then one thing that i do find with a lot of people that i work with so 
you know, I work with general population people, but I also work with a lot of people who are very into uh, training in terms of being athletes and things like that. And a lot, a lot of the time I'll find that they are eating like very, very minimally processed foods, uh, great health food diet, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables, lean proteins, all that, all that good stuff. But if you are eating very much that way without any sort of processed foods you, and you're training an awful lot and sweating an awful lot, you could find yourself um, lacking in sodium. So, I mean, it's happened a lot of times where people will come and say, you know, I, I feel kind of my training is tanked or my energy levels aren't as good and I was perform as well. Uh, kind of quick look at the food diary and you can see that, you know, they're eating very, very unprocessed foods um, all of the time. And it's like, okay, well, look, your, your sodium intake might actually be a bit low here. Uh, try salting your food more or you can have a pinch in your drinking water. And see how that helps, and then it's like like magic almost. Their their energy levels, the training performance, uh, kind of skyrockets again because they're eating. So like the the main contributors of sodium to our diets are processed foods and bread um, in Ireland. So if you're not eating much of uh, either of those, then yeah, it's it's something to look at. And so that's why. And it, but the main thing is yeah, get some get some water into you uh, first thing in the morning because you haven't drank anything for a long time. Uh, you're definitely not going to perform and feel as well with uh, if you're dehydrated uh, as if you had adequate hydration, you know. And is there any tips that you kind of give to anyone that kind of may struggle to get enough water into their diet or into their, uh, like I know most of us are kind of sitting at a desk for most of the day and stuff like that. And I know some people have said it to my face and some people have said it on various different uh Q and A's that I've done or whatever that they can't get enough water into their into their diet. Is there any like supplements or any kind of little tricks of the trade that you would have in order to get someone drinking a little bit more water? Yeah, so like it's it can depend on whether or not they don't like drinking the water. So there's there's certain approaches there, or if it's just the fact that it's not a habit for them that they just need to engage with that and then you know after a bit of time it will become a habit there's different approaches there so like if you just don't like water then yeah of course you can flavor it with something like uh, bolero sachets are really good uh have you used them before yeah carl yeah. carl's a huge advocate of those yeah. uh so carl yeah. carl carl got, got me on the, that buzz when i was doing the the shoot and when we were away or whatever at the the seminar in Birmingham, Carl had a few of those lying around. So they are they are very good. And they actually they just make you drink a little enjoy the water a little bit more. And they're only like what, sixty cent? They're quite they're quite cheap. Yeah. They're not they're not overly expensive, which when people hear supplements, they almost kind of put the the guard up that it, oh, it's gonna cost me fifty or sixty yeah. quid. They're not expensive at all. Like yeah. even even like uh, sugar free my wadi or something though is another good option. And you know, something that people should keep in mind is that, like, it's it's fluid intake you're talking about. It's not necessarily just all water as such. So, like, any any beverages that you have that are water-based, like teas and coffees, um, diet sodas or whatever it is, they're all going to contribute fluids. Um, so, you know, if you want to have more of them, that's fine. Obviously, you want to, you know, monitor your caffeine intake if it's a caffeinated beverage. Um you get you'll get a certain amount of uh, water from like quote unquote wet foods, so like rice, oats, and things. You add you add water to that, it soaks it up. Um, fruit and vegetables contain a lot of water, so it's you know you might not necessarily have to look at I need to drink more straight up water, but maybe mixing around, taking these other things into consideration as well. 
And then if it's just people struggling to get into the habit, you know, that's that's where the morning uh, water comes in uh, because that's that's like getting you at least a head start on the day. So if you can start like that, you know, I'll say, people, I'll say to people, you know, leave a bottle or a glass out somewhere where you can't miss it in the morning um, to kind of trigger that until it starts to become a habit. Um, if you're bringing, you know, having a big bottle of water with you, um, say you're at your desk, and you know, if it's there, if it's in, if it's in your line of sight, you know, you're going to be thinking about it. Um, I know some people like to say put rubber bands or bobbins around the bottle, and then they'll take one off every time they refill it, and you know, so you put on three at the start of the day and on a one liter bottle, that can work. Um, there's you know, little little things like that, and then even using say meal times as a trigger for getting you to consume some water. So you say, okay, at every meal I'm gonna have a half liter of water or something like that. All those kind of little tricks, uh, just until it starts to become a habit and you start to engage with the property, and then you know it's pretty plain sailing from there on. I think I think I really like the the bobbins cue. I know I wouldn't have any bobbins lying around because I've no hair, but. Uh, so, like the bot in the bot, my my cl- online clients and face to face clients seem to be predominantly female. So that, I think that's a very good cue for someone that may have a few bobbins lying around their desk. They're always in a drawer or something like that. So and that's a really really good good cue. Um, everyone seems to kind of pick be picking up little bugs and illnesses at the minute. Uh, is there any kind of suggestions by yourself? about the kind of the importance of listening to your body when it comes to kind of training and work. I know I was ill last week and I was kind of like, I was kind of lucky that it kind of came at the same time as kind of a deload on my training. So I was kind of checked in with the coach and he was like, I kind of knew the answer already, but sometimes you just need to hear from someone else. But like, I just kind of took a complete week off off and I was back at it today and it felt amazing. Is there any tips and stuff like, like that that you'd have for yourself? Yeah, like this is kind of a pet peeve of mine um, in terms of clients working with me where come in maybe and just be, you know, they might say, oh, I've been on like six courses of antibiotics in the last, you know, three months and, you know, I just can't seem to recover. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm also working 50, 60 hours a week, and sleeping five hours a night and I am training, you know, eight times a week. And it's like you know that that's where you need to start so like when you when i talk it's, it's talking about a stress load your overall stress load on the body um i like to use the analogy of the, the bucket of stress so all all your stress is like and you know stress you know i know it has negative connotations but like we do need stress and stress is not necessarily a bad thing um it's what drives us to actually do anything like even like fine food or or anything like that you got positive stresses like uh, training which when you add up to them uh, you come back stronger and fitter and better off for it. It supports the immune system, all that sort of thing. So, um, even you know that's one of the possible benefits of eating a lot of vegetables and plants is that the, the compounds in them are like a very very mild stressor on the body. The body has to deal with that. It, it keeps the kind of immune system functioning well, and it's again it's positive adaptation. But when you have chronic stress, um, Say you know, say work stress, emotional stress, stress in your personal life. Uh, you have training stress. Maybe you're dieting as well, so you've got an element of nutritional stress. You're not eating as much as you uh, might be in an ideal situation. All that's pouring into your stress bucket, and 
once that fills up and starts to overflow, that's when you start getting issues like uh, getting sick and injured, feeling run down, uh, not being able to sleep well, just being tired all the time. And obviously, like chronic stress uh, is, a, is a terrible thing in terms of uh, like risk factors for disease states uh, later in life. But so what I say then is like, you know, if, if, if all this stuff is pumping into your bucket, then you know, what are you doing about that? So you need to punch some holes in it um, in terms of say, recovery practices. So, you know, you punch a hole in that creates a flow of water out. You know, the bucket doesn't, they get to that point where it's going to start to overflow and you're going to have issues. And generally, like the more stress you're putting yourself under, probably the more recovery practices you need to engage in. Which you know, it's kind of counterintuitive. It's like, well, how the hell am I supposed to find time or effort to work on extra recovery when I'm already doing all this stuff? Um, but you know, that's what it comes down to. And it's like, I find people, you know, they want to go back training too soon if they are, if they do have like a little infection. So like, you know, you could have took like only two days off there, but like ah. You know, I'll go bash out a session here and, you know, you might only get to like 70% recovery and you're going to be hovering around that for a long time because you're just not giving yourself the chance to fully recover. Like if you have any sort of an infection, that is an extra recovery demand on your body. That's a, that's a pretty significant stress. So you need to look and try to balance out the rest of your, uh, the rest of the things going into that bucket to, to help just keep things in balance. And that's where something like the uh, heart rate variability tracking uh, comes in very handy because that'll give you an objective look at where you're actually recovering. Um, and it has subjective scores as well in terms of how you're feeling and your energy levels and things. But, you know, if you see that, you know, if you see your HRV is, uh, is in the dumps and you're supposed to, you know, crush a high volume, high intensity leg session, you, know, you might think twice about it. Because, you know, all this matters in terms of what you do over the long term. Like, you know, the, the gym will be there next week. And if you can, over the long term, keep training well and not get sick. Because, you know, you're not getting, you know, if you have to take a week off every four weeks because you're so run down, you know, you're not going to make the progress that you want to. But if you adjust and you scale back when you need to, but you keep going, then... You're probably going to be in a much better spot, like you know, a few months down the line, someone does not take that sort of advice. And is there any tracker or anything like that that you would kind of recommend to someone, or do you wear one yourself when you're training? Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of HRV, I know a lot of people will use the Polar uh, chest strap, and then I think Elite HRV is the app. Uh, I'll tell you what I use though. I use an app called HRV for training. That's the number four. Um, it's pinned in my uh, Instagram highlights, but uh, it only uses the phone, so it uses your phone torch um, to take a measurement in the morning. Uh, you know, uses your uses that to gauge your heart rate, and then determine your HRV. And you know, it takes a few days to calibrate, but I found that really good, uh, quite accurate as well. And it only costs about a tenner versus, uh, you know, you might buy a chest strap for like forty or fifty quid. And I don't know if the app then the Elite HRV is more on top of that so like for anyone who's interested or i think that might benefit from it i'll say to them look try the hrv for training if you think it's good and you want to take the next step and get like a chest strap monitor perfect but you know even for myself i've been using that for got it over a year anyway i'd say and i haven't feel, felt the need to um you know get anything fancier because i do think it works quite well yeah yeah i think that's great advice because i know the polar stuff 
like it's it's quite heavily marketed at the minute. So the fact that there's a another alternative that's kind of a little bit cheaper if someone's not willing to go out and prepare to or be prepared to kind of pay fifty or sixty quid for the powder strap, and there's an app that they can just simply get on the phone. I think that's I think that's awesome. Um, we're kind of in an era in the world or at, the, at, at this present moment in time where we're kind of always on the go, where we kind of have our nine to five jobs, if there's such a thing anymore, they're always on the go with family, friends, kind of social life, all that kind of side of things. But then the bit that kind of gets put to one side is kind of the, the looking after ourselves regarding our food and our meal prep. Meal prep, you've you've you still work with the with body first and you were talking off off air about kind of the the, the, the meals that those guys prepared they're awesome I, w- I was on those for a good uh, three months that they, they are awesome um is there any tips that you would kind of give to yourself or any tips that you give to any of the listeners or any of your clients regarding kind of any tips for for meal prep in order to kind of get in with their kind of their busy lifestyles yeah no it's, it's a great point man um and it's it's a massive one to it's a massive kind of hurdle to overcome um, when it comes to having success because yeah you you, you know you're, you're eating every day and you need to be eating well if you want to you know get the kind of results that you're looking for uh, or to be healthy or whatever it is and I think the main thing uh, for people the main piece of advice is that you just need to do some planning and preparation and really leverage your time well so like I, I look at meal prep and I, I teach people about meal prep as like a stepwise process so like the very first step is that you must know what you want to make so that's the first thing you can't just well you can but you I wouldn't advise that you just go buy a load of groceries and bring it home like okay what am I going to do with this now um you know you, you probably end up throwing a lot of stuff out that won't get used so my advice is you know pick if you're not if you're not very um, into meal prep or it's something that's kind of new to you, I'd say pick a couple of recipes that you want to try out and give it a bash, right? So there's there's hundreds and thousands of recipes on the internet or in cookbooks or whatever that you can very easily get overwhelmed by. You know, it's like a paradox of choice. It's like, well, which one do I want to try? Look, you're gonna to have to eat every day for the rest of your life. You have plenty of time to try the different recipes out. Just pick one or two that you're gonna try and say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a bash, see what it's like. If I don't like it you know that's brand i won't make it again i'll try something else next week look at that see what ingredients you need for that make a list um determine when you're going to go grocery shopping so make an appointment with yourself to actually do that because you can't be like you know it's if if you're just going to think it's going to happen which you're a very busy person it's something that's easy going to fall to the wayside so look at your your schedule look at your week say when can i realistically go uh, spend an hour or whatever going grocery shopping, stock up. Then, at the sa- and in, in the same vein, uh, set aside maybe a couple of hours on a on a weekend day to do the preparation. Right, so try and make the meal. You know, and it's you know it's cooking is a skill. It's something that you can enjoy. A lot of people find it quite like therapeutic, almost like a almost like a mindfulness practice. Um, so just you know enjoy the process of uh, making the food, and definitely you need to have again scheduled when you're going to do this. And that's kind of the, that's the, the first two steps that you need to have. And then once you get a bit more proficient, you'll want to maximize the, uh, the time you spend in the kitchen. So like, you know, there's a saying that it, it takes just as long to, to roast one chicken as it, does, as it does to roast two chickens. Yeah, the oven's on. 
So you may as well do more with the time. So my advice there is when you're in the kitchen, always, always, always prepare for a little bit more than just that meal that you're making. You know, so if you make dinner, if you make dinner um, fresh every evening, wonderful. Um, and definitely you want to make, you want to do a little bit more. So if you're chopping vegetables, maybe just chop some extra vegetables for you to use tomorrow. Um, like obviously it'd be great if you could make an extra portion and maybe you have that for your lunch the next day or breakfast or something that takes care of that or you batch cook or yeah definitely if you're in the kitchen you need to be making for more than just that one meal and it doesn't have to you know you don't have to put together a whole meal all at once you know just even any sort of thing like uh, slow cooking a load of protein is is a great way to batch cook like if you have a big slow cooker you can do say a lot of chicken uh, chicken breasts or whatever or a chili or something in that and then that's your protein core for a few days and then maybe all you need to do is you know cook a few vegetables or um you know bake some potatoes or make some rice or whatever so it doesn't have to you don't have to have everything covered but definitely be doing more than what's needed for just that next meal that you're going to have and you know i would encourage people to utilize everything they have in the kitchen so like you got a slow cooker get that going if uh, you know you can use your grill you can use your oven you can have stuff on the pan you can be microwaving some vegetables um you know you, you don't be waiting for one piece of cooking apparatus to finish so you can do something else with it see how you can use everything at your disposable so you're doing it all at once and you're doing it all at the same time and then that will save you a lot of time and then like it is a massive thing though to have your food prepared because you know, if you spend a couple of hours on, say, a Sunday morning or something like that, just doing some meal prep, like how much time does that save you during the week if you have to make each one of those meals every time, you know? Yeah, I think that's awesome advice, especially with the slow cooker. That seems to be the, the big thing at the minute. You can, they're, they're, they're cheap enough that you can get them a little early. Uh, and they, they're awesome. If you just throw in a lot of veg, a bit of broth, whatever, you, you'll have three or four days of worth of food. And it kind of you can throw in a big batch of meat. It doesn't necessarily only have to be one particular type of protein. It can be a whole batch of them and you can kind of have kind of a stew thing for the next few days. So I think that's, I think that's awesome advice. Um, you put up a post dealing with kind of impatience when on a diet i know i found myself that we're all our, our, we are our own worst critics sometimes regarding when you're doing a diet and you're doing a bit of bulking as well do you've, uh, you you said kind of when you were kind of giving yourself plenty of time was the biggest thing that you said on that post and i know particularly i i predominantly work with kind of female fat loss and one of the things that kind of comes out of that is that kind of people are expecting the results now when it's taken them 5, 10, 15 years to put the weight on, how do you kind of, do you have any tips for that? Or how do you kind of deal with that impatient side yourself? And then how do you kind of dictate that to your clients then? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good point, Shane. Um, the, the main thing which you mentioned is this, the expectation, I think. This is what I find with working with people that, um, for the most part, they'll have unrealistic expectations of what they can achieve in a certain amount of time. And that is, you know, I, spe I spend an awful lot of time uh, with clients talking to them about expectations and what actually is realistic and what actually is sustainable. Because, you know, we're bombarded with like media of transformations or people trying to sell you, you know, 30 day whatever it is, detoxes, things like that, that are going to transform you in that, in that short space of time. And, 
you know, none of that stuff lasts. And yes, maybe if you do, you know, if you go hell for leather, leather for four weeks, um, really, really kill yourself in training and really just rely on willpower um, to get you through the nutrition side of things. Yeah, you could probably you can probably create a bit pretty big turnaround, but then what are you left with after that? You're not left with any sort of uh, habits that you've developed that are going to see you through for the the next few months. So what's to stop you just resorting to your old habits and putting all the weight back on that you had to work so hard to lose? Um, and then so that I think that's probably where people's expectations become skewed in terms of what's actually a good amount of, of fat loss on a, like a weekly or a monthly basis. You know, what I say to people is about 0.5 to 1% of your body weight uh, per week on average is, is pretty good going. So like, and obviously it depends on where the person's starting, like heavier people probably lose a bit more than that. But it's, you know, people will say, uh, kind of have an arbitrary goal of, uh, I want to lose like a kilo a week. And, you know, if you're, a 55 kilo female that's that's a massive proportion of your body weight to be losing every week um you know it's what's going to be required to do that is uh probably not realistic in what you can do and like stay stay sane and keep it sustainable so it's just it's just explaining to people what kind of what they actually should expect um and i know it's I don't know, is it, is it kind of disheartening to, to say it like that, but it's it's also disheartening when you expect certain results and you're not getting them and you think there's something wrong with what you're doing because you're not seeing, you're not getting these same unrealistic results um, the way you're doing it, but it's, it's nothing wrong with what you're doing. It's just, it takes a long time and generally, no, sorry, it doesn't take a long time always, but it takes longer than you would think. So... You need to give yourself more time than, say, you were originally going to, um, because you need to account for things that come up in real life. You know, your nutrition and training, you know, probably shouldn't be your priority, top priority every single week, depending on what's going on, and that's fine. Um, so you just need to be a bit compassionate with yourself and say, look, um, this is a, this is a tough week here. I'm going to do the best I can with it, but I'm not going to put too much pressure on myself. But I'm going to stay on the horse. And I'm going to keep going and then, you know, next week better and kind of I'll take a few more yards when I can. And yeah, it just, it just comes down to managing expectations. Uh, also, I would like to encourage people to focus on the process and their behaviors as opposed to the outcome. So like, I, I don't, uh, I would tend not to praise really with clients. I don't, I don't say, oh, fantastic. You lost X amount of weight this week because that's, while it's great and you know if they want to celebrate if they say to me oh, i'm delighted i lost this one like, yeah that's, that's fantastic awesome go you but it's not something that i'm going to point out even if they're even if they're achieving great uh, rates of weight loss because that's not something that's directly in their control on a weekly basis you know you can't just it's not like when you, you flex your arm you can't just you know flex your fat cells and like get them to you know expel some body fat that, that that's then going to get used up so i i praise people constantly on the behaviors and practices and habits and the process that they engage with on a weekly basis and then if you do that you know the the results just come as a, as a side effect almost so like you know i use the analogy where if you're say running a marathon you know you can't see the finish line yet so all you can do is just put one foot in front of the other and you know you eventually get there so every step you take brings you closer 
Um, but you're not you're not thinking about the finish line until you know until you see until you're nearly there. Um, so that's that's the main thing. Yeah, managing expectations. I think. Yeah, I think there's like there's so many people on like the likes like social media is kind of a blessing, but it's also kind of one of these things that kind of puts a lot of that kind of stuff into people's heads. And there's also these diet pills, there's these fat burners, all that kind of stuff. And there's also people looking on social media at kind of the the Insta famous girls with the big bums, the tight hips, the the pants up to the hips and stuff like that. And it's just important for someone to kind of, as you said, kind of set realistic expectations and just remember that the scales isn't the be all and end all. Progress photos is kind of the the tip that I give to a lot of people is kind of go on those, whether you're bulking or whether you're kind of going on a diet, go by how your clothes are feeling. And then if you get, if you get wins on the scales, that's awesome. But don't let that be the kind of the only way or the only method for your success. Kind of go on the other ways. Are you feeling a little bit more sexy? You kind of feel a little bit more energy, able to play with the kids a little bit more, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's, that they're awesome points. So thank you for those. And and that's really going to help the kind of the listeners and stuff like that. Um, one of the things that we see a lot nowadays is kind of, we touched on a little bit earlier that so many people are on the go all the time and leads in with kind of the Instagram and social media is that people are always looking at their phones and that can have an implement or it can have an impact on people's sleep particularly just the 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 lighting and stuff on people's phones is there anything that you would kind of supplement people with when they're kind of struggling with sleep and how how does sleep actually have an impact on those levels of hunger particularly if you're kind of going on a weight loss journey uh, and what kind of impacts the kind of lack of sleep may have on it? Yeah, so sleep is is I'd say probably my favorite subject. Um, funnily enough, at this stage, because I think it's because it's something that gets overlooked um, pretty much the whole time. Like people can definitely engage with training most of the time, engage with some better eating habits, but then sleep gets neglected. Where I think it's the most important. Like you can't obviously talk about them in isolation saying you know you sleep enough then nothing else matters but i do think it it has the biggest knock-on effect in terms of like if you're sleep deprived and anything less than seven hours a night is is probably considered sleep deprivation like in in a lot of studies that's what they use um a lot of studies as well will, will go to like extremes of like four hours but like you know it's probably not there's probably a good few people out there getting by with like maybe five, six hours a night. And it has, while it's not going to like directly influence your fat loss, it does make things a lot more difficult for you to adhere to whatever plan you're doing um, to kind of create the fat loss if you are sleep deprived. Because when you're sleep deprived state, your, your hunger hormones uh, like ghrelin, increase uh your leptin which is a satiety hormone that decreases so you're in a position where you're hungrier your cravings and your hunger for certain types of foods so generally more processed hyperpalatable foods increases in that state so you're hungrier and you want say you know no foods are bad as we know but say you know quote unquote junk foods you you want more of them and you're also more impulsive and sort of, you know, your willpower is lessened. You know, all this is going on in a sleep-deprived state. So that's pretty, a pretty bad shitstorm when it comes to trying to stay on plan. You know, little things like not snacking, 
um, picking mindlessly at food, eating like making poor food choices. All of that is uh, is really going against you if you're if you're not sleeping properly. And then like there are other kind of like yeah like I do like sleep research a lot, and you know you see you see research like the the chances of injuries uh, picked up when training massively increased if you're not sleeping well. Um, there you know studies of actually dieting where people are in a pretty severe calorie deficit. Um, I think it was you know five hours uh, of sleep a night versus like eight or maybe it was eight and a half hours in bed, um, and then however much of that was sleep. But uh, like massive difference, you know, the same calorie deficit, but massive difference in the amount of fat mass lost versus muscle tissue in the sleep deprived group. So it was like sixty percent more muscle mass lost and like fifty percent less fat mass lost um, in a sleep deprived state. So that's a that's a pretty shit deal. Um, if you're training well and you're eating well, but then you're neglecting your sleep, you're just, you know, losing muscle tissue potentially and not losing as much fat tissue. Um, you know, insulin sensitivity is uh, very much affected by sleep deprivation. Um, there's some like famous studies on that where I think it's like college, college aged men um, after like a few hour, a few days of uh, a few nights of sleep deprivation. I think it was pretty extreme, like four hours, but. You know, their, their fasting blood sugars were as bad as a pre-diabetics in these normally healthy guys, um, which is pretty scary. Like, so it just it shows you, it feeds into how important sleep is. And then when you want to look at proving it, I, I have a sleep hygiene questionnaire that I, I use with people, but that's that's posted on my story highlights if you want to check that out. Um, it will show you areas that probably need improvement. Um, but I think it's kind of like what you said, we're, we're trying to do so much um, all day, every day. And it's trying to, cult- I think the main thing we're trying to cultivate like a decent bedtime routine. So things where like, you know, one of the, one of the questions on my, my scorecard is, you know, do you, do you treat sleep like a, a switch or like a dimmer switch? So do you try to just flick off and then, you know, you expect yourself to be asleep or do you wind yourself down like a dimmer? And then actually promote some restful sleep that way. So things like reducing, yeah, screen exposure. Now it's not the most it's not the most practical one for most people. Like I'll admit that. Like I don't, you know, I'm not screen free like an hour before bed or anything like that. I probably should be, but you know, I can get into the habit of working quite late. But like I will use, you know, apps like uh, Flux or you know, that's on like laptops and tablets. You got uh, Night Shift on on iPhones. You got uh, Twilight is, is an Android one. So all that like tries to filter out some of the blue light that will disrupt your sleep and, and stop you falling asleep. And, uh, you know, it'll, it can prevent you from being able to stay asleep or, get, or improving your sleep quality. So things like that, um, you know, look at what you're doing. Like one of the first questions I'll ask people if they're, if they're asleep, uh, if they're struggling with it is, you know, what do you do in the, the hour before bed? And, you know, that, that, gives you pretty good insights like so are they you know are they watching tv or something that's really really stimulating like uh like murder documentaries or something like that like you can't really expect to be just like oh yeah i'm gonna gonna fall asleep now that's great uh you know your mind's ticking over um you're you're looking at screens uh as another point so yeah i i don't expect people to just you know start living like the amish or anything like that but 
if you can even just like 10, 15 minutes before bed, you commit to being having those screens. Like at the very least, don't be scrolling on your fucking phone in bed um, and looking at that and then trying to fall asleep afterwards. Uh, try and do something that's a bit more relaxing. Um, you know, you can meditate, you can practice deep breathing, do some yoga or stretching, uh, read a book, even, even you know, monitoring what you're watching like so watching like a nature documentary or something like that or something or something light-hearted that's all going to be much better for you for trying to fall asleep than uh than what you could be doing um so that's that's where i would start and also like the main like probably the main thing is just to make it a priority you know to actually commit to saying oh actually i do want to get better sleep because like you know what's an extra hour of netflix doing for you not not much Whereas if you can say, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut this off now, give myself half an hour to wind down, try and improve my sleep here, and just committing to actually wanting to improve that is massive. Um, setting yourself like a bedtime alarm is a pretty good way to to try and kick that off. You know, so maybe an hour before bed, it's like okay, set yourself an alarm. It's like right, I need to stop stop working if you're working or whatever you're doing that's highly stimulating, and think about okay, how am I gonna start winding down now? And then, you know, after that point, that's when I maybe look at supplementation. But, you know, you can't just expect to take some supplements and then still have a, a shitty bedtime routine and for it to fix that. But then in terms of what supplements I do like to use, uh, L-theanine is great. Um, I mean, if you, you can't get melatonin here, but if you can, um, you know, it can be useful to help set your circadian rhythm. Uh, valerian root is is quite useful um probably wouldn't take it every night but it's nice to have in the toolkit um glycine can be helpful um consuming like uh you know having a, a decent amount of carbohydrates in your last meal can help increase serotonin and therefore melatonin uh, secretion uh, all those are good options but they're not going to replace um yeah. having a decent sort of bedtime routine and are those easily to get? Are they easy to get in like pharmacies or shops, or how would people go about to get those if they were looking for them? Um, yeah, I mean it's the kind of thing that you can get in in health food shops, or you know, usually shopping online is probably the handiest. Um, you can definitely get it all off off uh, online stores, um, like iHerb or something like that. Um, like I said, yeah, melatonin is a prescription here, so you can't buy that freely. Five uh, HTP, you can't get. But like valerian root is fine. Um, you get like a chelated magnesium, something like that. If if you're magnesium deficient, then taking magnesium will will help your sleep. Um, uh, L-theanine, I think, is one of the best ones. Um, that's that's the amino acid that's found in tea naturally, like hence the name, and it has a very calming effect on the body. It helps uh, increase like the calming sort of brain waves and also the GABA neurotransmitter, which is responsible for you feeling calm and sort of relaxed and that's one of that's one of my favorites definitely for uh increasing sleep quality um really does help increase uh, the depth of sleep and it's the kind of thing you can stack with uh caffeine so if you find that caffeine makes it very jittery or you know it gives you energy but it's almost too much like taking alphenine with it will uh kind of level you off and you get just kind of a, a clean focus and energy without all the, the jitters so uh, I've resensitized myself to caffeine recently, so um, I like to use that like in conjunction with it. I think that's awesome. I know one of the things that if someone's looking for a resource out there, 
there are plenty of podcasts and books out there. And one of the ones that I found that's kind of breaks it down in layman's terms for anyone that's not kind of in this kind of whole uh, sphere of kind of all the kind of sciencey part would be Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep. It's a very, very good book, breaks it down. It kind of, there's a few, few little studies that it has that are quite interesting. Um, and a few little rituals that you can bring in yourself. Another one that kind of shocked me almost was the kind of just getting up straight out of bed and going straight to kind of, going straight to the gym to kind of train clients and or get into the car and then going to train clients. So you almost need to give yourself a little bit of a longer window. And that's what I'm trying to get, get brought in there since I brought that book is kind of getting myself up an extra 20 or 30 minutes just to kind of even get a glass of water into myself, kind of wake myself up rather than kind of driving like a zombie and not remembering how you got there. And a lot of people kind of just tend to go automatic pilot, go into shower, get the clothes on straight out the door. So that was one of the big takeaway points that I got from that. So it's well worth uh, a read. It's it's on Amazon, it's on Kindle or whatever people, whatever way people kind of read these days. Um, I'm like, as I, that kind of leads into the kind of next question regarding kind of morning rituals. Uh, you kind of do a little bit of kind of morning rituals yourself. I know uh, you put those up on your on your social media, like what are yours at the at the moment and kind of where would you kind of suggest to someone to start if they're kind of looking to get one? Yeah, sweet. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, morning rituals or morning routines. And in terms of why you would want to do it in the first place is that, like how you alluded to it, it sets the tone for the rest of your day almost. So, you know, how are you going to carry yourself through the day if you are startled out of bed by your alarm clock um, or you're running late already as it is because you fall back asleep. You know, have to jump out of bed, like you said, and just rush around. Whereas if you can give yourself an extra 20, 30 minutes, do something that's for you, essentially, something that's beneficial for you, uh, your body and or mind. Um, it really it sets, a, it sets a nice tone for the rest of the day in that, like, you know, you're, you're in control and you're doing things for yourself. You're not just, you know, turning on your phone first thing, reading emails, reading messages, and suddenly putting yourself in a reactive state where you're just, you know, you're starting with everyone else's to-do list for you rather than your own to-do list and doing like doing healthy things for yourself. So, uh, you know, my morning routine has been pretty consistent for for a while now. It's it can vary a little bit because the days I'm going to the gym, I'll probably train. Uh, first thing so I'll, I'll get up and go and do that and then the rest of the routine might follow after that but say like on a non-training day um or if I'm doing jiu-jitsu that's usually at lunchtime so say on a you know a day I'm not in the gym first thing in the morning uh you wake up you know I'm not turning my phone on okay so keep it on flight mode uh I'll throw on my light glasses uh, if it's you know it's still dark out like it's not much of an issue in the summertime but uh, if you've seen those light glasses before, it's um, yeah, they're like uh, like those light therapy boxes or those sunrise lamps or whatever. But you know, if you're wearing them as glasses, they're portable. That's why I got them. And they're a lot more expensive than um, say one of the the light boxes. But you know, that's like this is kind of what you mentioned is that light exposure is a is a key driver for you know telling your body it's daytime and you know going about your daily pro daily processes and then that creates like uh 
starts your like sleep pressure clock so then it starts to decline as the day goes on it gets dark so then you're supposed to start secreting melatonin and as you're not getting light exposure so that's actually something i didn't mention but as important as minimizing light in the evening is getting light exposure during the day is is critical for for promoting healthy sleep so um ideally sunlight you know it doesn't have to be you know you're not staring at the sun but just being outside and getting some light into your eyes is a lot more uh has a lot more of an impact than than you know light exposure but these you know these uh, glasses and things are calibrated to try and give you a certain amount so i stick them on as the first thing then i will i'll do a, a cars routine so that's um the controlled articular rotations it's uh, it's just a, like a short little mobility sort of exercise and um i'll do that it takes uh, you know five minutes just to get the body moving a little bit um then i will meditate for probably 10 minutes using headspace uh the headspace app and after that i will read some of the uh, the daily stoic i'm sure you've seen that yeah you're uh, a big feature. yeah you're a big man for that i know a few of the guys that i work with anyway have been kind of posting that themselves and they tagged yourself in it recently enough so that's one of your big things that's your big push on that at the minute i would recommend people to do it if they are if they if they're looking for something to do yeah yeah we can talk about that um in a minute uh i'm gonna talk about books again but yeah so i read that's a one page a day commitment um helps kind of get you in a, in a good mindset for the day uh, i'll do a little bit of uh, gratitude journaling i think i think that's one of the the best ones i've found like yeah. to improve say like just kind of overall mood and uh mental health but it's so simple um so something like a five minute journal uh, if you haven't used, if you haven't done any gratitude journaling before i like the five minute journal just because it's it has a nice structure to it, a nice framework. Um, it's easy to engage with on a daily basis. It only takes a few minutes. Now, you know, since I've burned through one of those, I just kind of make my own template um, for everything that I want to use. But uh, it's a great start for people if they, if they haven't used it before. Um, and then after that, um, it's usually, you know, have a shower and part of that shower will be cold. Usually, you start cold, so stand in it until it warms up. And then uh, finish it off as uh, a cold shower as well for a couple of minutes. And then after that, it's uh, maybe doing half an like well half an hour reading or half an hour to an hour reading or study. And that's uh, typically how I'll start the day. If it's um, if it's summertime, I might go out and swing a kettlebell in the garden in the sun for a few minutes or well, not a few minutes, but a few sets as well. And uh, yeah, that's that's basically it. So like. Sort of the main ones you're trying to touch on is uh, setting tone for the day, um, getting some light exposure somehow, um, pre- preferably outdoors if possible, and then yeah, just try like doing a little bit of something for your uh, mindset for the day. I think is great. So be it like your journaling or reading the, the Daily Stoic or whatever it is. And the the journaling side of things is something I I, I kind of when kind of New Year hits or whatever. I know some people don't like the whole ideology of kind of New, New Year's resolutions, but one of the things I have a whiteboard on my desk, which is uh, has different targets that I have for the year, whether it be kind of like squat related or leg press related or bench related, and then there's kind of other stuff like seminars and different priorities. But one of those things was podcast a week and write a journal. So I've kind of making an effort to 
right in it. If I can't do it every day, I try to do it every two days. And it's similar to what the gratitude journal is, but I was kind of reading back on some of them and I'm kind of like, it's kind of weird looking back at some of the days and you're kind of feeling a little bit more grateful about yourself, but it is kind of, it's a great idea. And it doesn't have to be the gratitude journal that's per se up on like Amazon or wherever you may have got yours. It can be simply just a little notebook or anything and you can kind of create your own. It, it's an awesome idea. It's so simple and it does kind of make you feel a little bit better about yourself. So I, I'm, I'm delighted you brought that up. Um, we're nearly done. We've got kind of a couple of questions left and then we kind of got the Q&A from Instagram that kind of came through. Um, if there was one supplement that you would kind of take yourself or would recommend to someone, what would it be and why? Yeah, so I was thinking about this and like there's, there's you got your typical ones that are a sort of a broad recommendation. Most people probably need to engage with the likes of your vitamin D. You know, if you're not getting sun exposure especially in the, the winter months uh in ireland so definitely vitamin d uh you know we're not great at eating oily fish here so an omega-3 fish oil uh supplement you know creatine are basic ones but i wanted to give something a bit more uh, less standard so I'll, I'll throw one out that i really like and, and find good for a lot of people which is uh ashwagandha uh ksm 66 it's just a specific type of ashwagandha um it's a, it's a herbal supplement but it, what it does is it helps the body um cope with stress and in doing so it can help uh with sort of energy levels um fatigue like all this that might be related to stress it can help improve sleep um for that reason and then obviously that will feed into uh improved energy levels um there's some potential um indication that it might support uh good like testosterone levels i'm not i'm not too sure on that one um for the moment but uh, there is indications of it and yeah it's just something i find really good for people who say are under a lot of stress uh, or pressure um something that you can use to you know get get you started like obviously you're going to have other things that you need to address to kind of get on top of that but i know for for periods of time where like i'm feeling i'm under a lot of pressure or i've taken on a lot um potentially feeling overwhelmed or whatever i find it very very useful to try and just like get through that and uh yeah i think it's great it's definitely one of my favorites and you know might not be one that gets typically mentioned a lot i know um when i was over with mark coles at m10 over in nottingham they mentioned ashwanda as kind of a, a sleep supplement as well but one of the things that they said that it may have been irritable uh it might have a bit of a issue with people may have a bit of an issue with their stomach that it kind of can cause cramping is there a particular dosage that you would recommend to anyone that's going to be taking the ashwagandha um yeah so i haven't hadn't heard that before about the, the gut issues it could be potentially if you're using like the just the root yeah. itself or like root powder um and i know that's why i recommend that specific type because uh, some of the compounds like if you take too much of it it can have like a toxicity issue of the other ones but not doesn't seem to be the, the case for the one that i've suggested there it's like it's a patented um, version of it if you like um but the about six 600 milligrams as like a baseline and then you could probably fluctuate up to about uh 1200 milligrams say for like a couple of weeks at a time um well i'd say yeah about 600 milligrams is sort of a baseline dose um to start with anyway and see how you get on with that 
I think uh, like the the capsules are usually about three or five hundred milligrams. So I, I think I think three hundred is probably too little. So at least start with uh, six. So like one in the morning and then one in the evening, for example, if they're three hundred milligrams, uh, to give you a total of six six hundred per day, and see how that goes for you. And they're easy enough to get into the in the pharmacies and for health food shops and stuff like that, are they? Uh, yes, you. It's definitely a lot of health food shops that do stock it. I would just want people to be sure that it's that specific type, um, the KSM sixty six. But again, I I tend to generally recommend people just uh, shop online to get it. Perfect. And then, as a nutritionist, you must get a lot of questions. I know I'm not a nutritionist. I am training. I am studying with MNU at the minute, and I started that doing in September. So a little bit about a third about 40 percent of the way through now and a lot of, a lot of questions kind of come in on instagram and face-to-face particularly with clients what's the most common question you kind of get asked on a daily basis yeah in terms of nutrition um it's probably some version of like is this food okay to eat um you know it's generally not not my own clients probably asking me that uh, yeah. at this stage because as soon as we start, I uh, make it very clear to them that there's, you know, there's no such thing as a good or a bad food, and everything is is potentially has a has a place, and that all foods are just on a, a spectrum of being, you know, more nutritious to less nutritious. And, you know, some people argue that you know cake provides macros for the soul, so yeah, <laughs> if you want to get on board with that, um, that's probably the main one though. Yeah, I'd say like, you know, is is this food okay? And whatever food it is, uh, eat anything. But that's you know that's where the flexible flexible dieting comes in and looking at what you're doing over the uh, the medium or long term as opposed to you know on one specific day um, so yeah there's no such thing as good or bad foods it very much depends on the context that you're in for you as an individual and all foods potentially have a place and you probably just have to manage the uh, the portions of them I, I, I'm so happy you, you, you've you kind of given that message throughout the, the episode today. I'm so delighted you keep saying there is no such thing as, thing as a bad food because that's one of the common questions that kind of comes through on Instagram to myself as well. So it's time for the Q&A. Um, so there's maybe about four or five questions. And two of them are from someone that you know quite well, which is one of my colleagues, Carl. So are, are energy cakes the key to life is one of the questions. <laughs> If you want to lead a big life, yes. Okay, and then he's also, if you had to eat one vegetable for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Ooh, one vegetable for the rest of my life, damn. That is a tough question. Um, Would I say broccoli? Yeah, I think I would say broccoli. Um, Because it's very nutritious, um, it's versatile as well. And, uh, you know, I I like the taste of it. Provided it's not overcooked and just served by itself. That's kind of bleak. Yeah. Okay. And then we've got a question that came in from Ask TC Mass through Instagram. How to eat less fiber on a high calorie mass gaining phase? How to eat less fiber? Yes. So presumably because, um, you know, they don't want, they're probably struggling to get the calories in. Yeah. Which a lot um, of people seem to think, a lot of people when they're going through a bulking phase, seem to struggle like i like i'm quite slim and i i sometimes struggle to get the amount of carbs that i want to get in so my coach has me on nearly 500 grams of carbs a day and yeah it's quite a lot so i sometimes do so i'm going to struggle today to get them in 
but I'm going to have to make up for it throughout the week. So how would how would you kind of eat less fibre on a high-calorie gaining phase? Well, I mean, yeah, so you're going to choose... Like, first of all, I should say I don't recommend eating low fibre. Now, if you're on a very high calorie intake, it's unlikely that you're going to fall very short of your fibre intake. But, you know, for men, at least 30 to 35 grams a day um, especially if you have a good intake to play around with, you definitely want to be hitting that no matter what, um, because you know health is the, the number one priority. But after that, um, I would I would suggest choosing obviously lower fiber carbohydrate sources. So like things like cereals, um, well like low fiber cereals, so like uh, like Rice Krispies or Cocoa Pops, things like that. Um, choosing like white pasta. Um, breads and things like that all those are generally are dried fruit as well these are all well dried fruit has a decent amount of fiber but it's also very carbohydrate dense and nutrient dense um yeah trying to choose lower fi- fiber carbohydrates so less of like your bran cereals and potatoes and oats um and whole grain stuff and whole meal stuff um all that is higher fiber and obviously more filling so and then more things like rice and you know you can look at things like depending on how much carbohydrates this person has to eat um but yeah we just looking at your your carbohydrate choices uh would be the way to reduce fiber intake um i would i would look at say maybe trying to consume more smoothies and things to get your vegetables in since it's they're not going to be as filling since it's liquid but uh you know i am quite loath to recommend to anyone uh to eat less you know plants because they're so important for health yeah, that's an awesome answer. Um, if I drink a load of water or too much, will it get rid of the minerals and vitamins I've already consumed from foods? Um, I would say, like, not really. Like, you can, for something like, uh, like sodium, uh, which is a mineral um, that you can get through food. So something like sodium, you know, you can get into situations where you get... Um, you know, too much water coming in and not enough minerals, and that can sort of deplete your your electrolytes or your mineral reserves. Um, you can kind of watch out for that in, in terms of like how much you're, you're peeing and like the color of your urine. If it's uh, if it's really clear all the time, you know, it's probably a sign that you're either not consuming enough uh, electrolytes or you're drinking too much or maybe a combination of both. But uh, no, I don't think. Uh, like you're gonna get a flushing effect of, of like say vitamins or minerals that you've eaten through food. Like you can, no, it's 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 not really gonna happen. Um, you know, just drink your water, eat your proper food, and you don't really need to worry about it. Okay, so the last question came in from someone that didn't want to be mentioned, which is fair enough. So they've been recently diagnosed with PCOS, which is quite prevalent at the minute, and they're unsure. They're they're on a dieting phase. But they're unsure, should they have a very low calorie intake or should they have a slightly higher one because of the way the the kind of the hormonal imbalance in their system will be? Do you have any kind of suggestions or recommendations on that side of things? Yeah, I would like when it comes to PCOS, um, it can be a little bit more difficult to to generate uh, fat loss. So it might might just take a little bit. Uh, longer and a little bit more persistence to to achieve the results that someone without PCOS might have. Um, 
I mean, it can have the, you can almost get like a better sort of training return though and training output because Big time. you have higher yeah. levels of testosterone. So, um, you know, many, many like female athletes would have PCOS um, and it helps them perform a lot better in certain sports. Um, but yeah, consuming a quality, quality carbohydrates um, and a good balance of macronutrients and looking at food quality to help improve the insulin uh, sensitivity and promote that, which is, that's another kind of key feature of PCOS um, is insulin resistance. And, you know, a calorie, a calorie deficit is going to, is going to help with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if you have body fat to lose, that will help as well. So, yeah, I would, you know, suggest probably, obviously it depends where this person is at, um, in terms of their, their body fat levels, but yeah, uh, sort of a, yeah, a mild deficit to try and create some fat loss, improve your, improve your insulin sensitivity is probably a good idea and looking at like food quality. So the usual stuff um you know higher fiber foods lots of fruit and vegetables um healthy fat sources and uh, lean proteins is you know that's kind of the, the mix for everything i know but it does come back to that yeah uh, that's awesome so that that's the end of the q a and brian i have to say i've learned so much we've like we've been talking off camera and we talk, we were kind of speaking off uh off air and we've been speaking on this now for quite a while now so thank you so much for doing this i've learned so much kind of dealing with kind of like the illnesses and kind of staying away from the scales and there's a few little tricks of the trade i'll be kind of bringing to my clients face to face and online as well um brian do you have an instagram handle that the guys can kind of follow you at i know you work with the fit clinic there or they're definitely worth the follow and brian's definitely worth the follow so what's your what's your handle on instagram uh, my own one is uh, brian ohangusa so that's o-h-a-o-n-g-h-u-s-a uh, so you obviously see my name in the in the podcast uh, yeah. description. Um, so that's my handle, and then yeah, the Fit Clinic and you know fitclinic.ie uh, is where you can avail of the coaching services and your blog there as well. So definitely check those out on social media, and also myself on Instagram. I don't really use uh, any other social media at the moment. Perfect. So, so I will I will tag Brian and the Fit Clinic and stuff like that when I write up the the, the kind of the the summary for the podcast and i'll be tagging brian and a lot of things going forward the next little while his information is, is is amazing so brian thank you so much for coming on giving up a good bit a good chunk of your time i know you're kind of busy with the online clients and stuff like that so thank you so much for coming on today very welcome shane it's a pleasure man cheers thank you very much brian cheers